Welcome to Shi'ar Jeshub, coming from Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. Today, we will be continuing the Heavenly Authority series taught by our pastor, Greg Scalzo. The current sermon is from 2 Samuel chapter 12 and focuses on David's contrition in the matter of Bathsheba and her husband Uriah and the judgments God pronounces through the prophet on David because of these sins. When we left off, Pastor had gone over to Psalm 51, David's heartfelt prayer of repentance, and was reading at verse 14. Let's rejoin Pastor Greg. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Not of his righteousness. He can't proclaim his righteousness anymore, right? Of your righteousness, O God. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what God wants. Sometimes when we sin, we think by making an offering, by saying a prayer. Now, David is praying here, right? This whole song is a prayer. But doing some type of ritual, Saul was ready to make all types of sacrifices for the Lord. But that's not enough. If that sign follows an inner reality, fine. But God is not delighted by, by some outward sign as though we're buying his favor. There are churches that have signs and dedication plaques uh, to people who committed terrible sins, horrible sins, but they buy the church off by giving a large donation. And they've never really come to repentance because they keep doing what they're doing. They're horrible actions, but they give money to these churches and they put up big plaques in memory of them as though the money somehow buys off God or the sacrifice somehow buys off God. Now you have to be appeased because look what I did. And God is not concerned with outward signs unless they're a reflection of an inward reality. He wants the person contrite. The sacrifices of God are a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, a contrite heart, these, O oh God, he says what? You will not despise. He despises the rest. All the other shows he despises. When the Pharisees come, and they too will be baptized by John to show the people how good they are and how righteous they are. God despises it. And he declares by the prophet, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come. Verse 18, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, real sacrifices, servants of God, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Then you can bring your gifts to the altar once you've been made right with your brother. There's a great break here. The blood cries from the ground. The sin must be dealt with. David must be broken. David must be forgiven. And then everything else that comes from it, 
all the building of Jerusalem, all the offerings before the tabernacle, then they have their right place in God's sight. But first, he must be a broken man for his sin. And everyone sins. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. Even the great leader David and every one of us. So when we come before God in our righteousness, look how good I am, that God despises. But when we come broken and say, Lord, I don't deserve your mercy and your grace, but Father, forgive and use me to your cause to teach transgressors your ways, that sinners shall be converted to you, that Jerusalem can be built, that it's pleasing in the sight of God. So David is forgiven. But even though there's forgiveness, even though he's told by Nathan he will not die, there still are consequences in this world for David's sins. And that's one of the sadnesses as believers. If we sin and we know better and we come to the Lord like David in truth, we can be forgiven, we can be washed, but there's usually some consequence that lingers. And we have to see things that we really should not have seen. David here, by his example, sets a bad example for his sons about morality, about relations with women, about relations to your brothers in the Lord. And that impacts on his sons and fulfills what is prophesied by Nathan. In verse 9, he's told, because you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, you have taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of Ammon. Verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me, the sword. That, behold, I will raise up, in verse 11, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. One of his own family will come against him. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. There shall be immorality, an immorality in his family that's clearly seen by the people. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And then he tells them that the enemies of the Lord have been given occasion to blaspheme, verse 14, the child also who was born to you shall surely die. David murdered, so then murder would separate David from some of his family members, the sword. David committed adultery, there would be moral problems within his own, his own family. David's secret immorality would result in his children's open immorality in the sight of the son. He did not respect his position as a leader over Uriah, his responsibility toward one of his loyal men, one of his brothers in the Lord, then there would be adversity from his own house. There would be division among his own sons. One would kill another. And his son Absalom would not respect later on his authority as a father because David did not show respect for his position as a leader and his position of authority. Very important to our study of heavenly authority. When we do not respect the responsibility we have to those under us, when we misuse them, as David misused Uriah, then we cannot expect the Lord to uphold us in the positions of authority we would like. Here, David, as a father to Absalom, Absalom should have showed him respect 
Absalom showed him anything but respect. What David did to others, what he did to another man's household, to another house, to another family, would come back to touch his own house, his own family, because God is just. Nathan tells David that God has put away his sin, that he will not die, yet that child will die. When we sin, we allow others to blaspheme God. It kills the work of God. The work of God is to build children for God, to bring children into the kingdom, to bear fruit for the kingdom. Other believers who come in and hear by his actions, he's inhibited the work of God. Who is going to be inspired by David to want to follow Yahweh, the God of holiness, when they see the example of David's unholiness? He's, in a sense, murdering God's children with the ability to make children. Now, we know in Psalm 51, part of his repentance is, I will bring transgressors to you. I will make children for you. But as his punishment, since his action stops the birthing of the kingdom, then this child that is born to him in Bathsheba shall die. Let's read in verse 15. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. He's doing what's right. He's seeking God's mercy. You can see him pleading with God, saying, It's my sin. The child didn't do anything. I did it, Lord. And he's fasting and praying that the child might live. Verse 17, as he lay on the, on the ground all night, the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not. Nor did he eat with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Maybe he'll kill himself. If he's doing this when the child's alive, the guilt is going to override him, and what will he do when he hears the child is dead? Verse 19, When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. When his servants said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. 
He does what's right. He pleads. He fasts. He wants that child alive with all his heart. He wants to change the penalty. He desires to intercede. But David accepts God's final decree. And when the child does die, David goes and worships God. And he can do that. And the, obviously the servants and the people, are they're amazed. They're afraid he's going to hurt himself. He does just the opposite. He cleans himself off. He goes and worships the Lord. He comes home and he eats. The guilt doesn't override him, doesn't bring him so far down. And you say, why does he have that confidence? What could possibly make him respond in such a way when he was so broken at the child's illness? He says, can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I'm going to see him again. He's not going to come to me any longer. He's dead here, but I'm going to go see him someday. David knows God keeps his word. God has kept his word here, right, by the penalty. He knows he has a rod and a staff. He makes promises and he keeps them, and he proclaims judgments and he keeps them. And God keeps his word. Then God's word about eternity, about the everlasting spirit, is also true. And David has great surety that he will see his child in the world to come. This is a good point at which to leave the sermon. If you would like to write to us, you can reach us at Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. For Sunday service, we meet in Madison, Connecticut at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane at 10 a.m. Please join us next time for Shear Jashub.